Yeah, I can't think of a good way to, to lead into this okay, at all. Okay, fair like, enough. Quite frankly. So uh, we come to you now live, not live. It's, it's actually the exact opposite. It's the antithesis of live. It's nearly pre-recorded. There's a chance- Recorded earlier. Previously on, uh, there's a chance that Chewy actually edited this into the show, but it meant that Chewy edited something. So I just want to make sure that everyone out there, all you listeners at home, Steve on the bus, I want to make sure that all of you realize the amount of work that Chewy, cause Chewy doesn't normally edit Monday Night Magic so much as cut out the swearing cause there's no swearing on Monday Night Magic and post it. So. Are we talking like seven deadly words swearing or like just saying uh, no, damn? There's no swearing on Monday Night Magic. Yeah, damn's okay. Okay. Yeah, that's... I mean, it just holds back water. Have there ever been dams in magic? Huh. Maybe that'll be in the next set. Ooh, it's like a wall, but it, different. Right. It's like a wall It's a blue for, wall. It's a, it's a wall against blue. Ooh. Yeah, okay, we'll go Are there any that. walls with pro-blue? Watsi, I need you to get on that. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that's actually going to be the intro. We'll, we'll find out. We'll see if Chewie leaves that in. Okay. Who knows? He uh, might put it in his Patreon bits. Anyway, so, oh, hey, that's a good point. We have a piece for odds and ends. That yes. Can, no, that would take way, <laughs> way too much work. So a week ago, where were we? Seattle. We were in Seattle. The 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 Mecca, let's say, the Emerald City, although it act, they actually do call it that for yeah, Emerald yeah, City do. Comic Con. But we were in Seattle, Washington for PAX, no, PAX Prime. That's it. I'm taking a stand. <laughs> Pax Prime. Well, I mean, you are using the blue microphone while I'm using the red microphone. So I'm using the East yeah, don't, mic. Wait, don't tell the people at home that they'll oh. claim that I like blue or something. Although, oh. again, I like the color blue, but not the color blue. Look, let's not have this. Let's not rehash this. Yeah. I have two microphones left and right, and this one is blue. That one's red. Well, yeah, because yeah, I'm, I'm in the left channel, right? Right. Well, left is port. Port's always red. Ta-da. Blue's kind of like green. Well, Starbird is green. Yeah. <laughs> this is a podcast about magic. <laughs> we swear. All right. Um, okay, so let's let's shift gears. Let's maybe try uh, the the NPR approach. Sure. Although I don't really know what an NPR interview like this would sound like. Weekend America's founding sponsor is Target. Target. So I sat down with someone near and dear to my heart to talk to them about their experiences with magic at PAX Prime 2016. So uh, could you introduce yourself to the folks at home? Uh, yes, I am Dr. Mrs. Dr. Science, otherwise known as Jen LaCluzet. I'm uh, Clues's wife. We go to PAX together. We do. We absolutely do. That actually pretty much sums up the relationship, <laughs> I think, is uh, we're married and we go to PAX together. And that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah we got yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so everyone now... Has that straight in their head. So a week ago, we were at PAX Prime in Seattle, Washington, uh, enjoying all of the festivities that Wizards of the Coast had set aside for the, I guess, the kickoff of the beginning of pre-spoiler season for our journey to Kaladesh. 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 Uh, the home plane of none other than Chandra. Is it? Is it? Chandra is is it actually Nalar? Have they told us that, or is it Nalar, or is it Chandra, or is it Chandra? Look, there is a pronunciation guide. Believe it or not. Oh, that makes sense. But most of the time, we don't believe them. The whole Garrick thing—they totally got that wrong. That's fair. Yeah, that's right. I said it. They yeah, got it wrong. Anyway, uh, the folks at Watsi, um, 
they were not really much of a presence at PAX East. So uh, I have to admit, I was a little concerned as to what was going to happen going into PAX Prime. But no, 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 they totally came through. PAX Prime was, oh boy, if I had to describe it in a sentence, I would say that it was, I'd say, I'd, I'd say it was great. Yes, it was a very good PAX. Uh, no, no, I meant the magic presence specifically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think they did a fine job. Yes. They, so, they, did a, they did a really nice job with trying to evoke the flavor of Kaladesh. Yeah, although we don't have the full story yet on Kaladesh, but here, here are the things we know. Uh, the plane itself, uh, the aesthetic of the plane is, in, is I'm going to, I guess we'll describe it as Indian-inspired. And this is uh, the Far East India that we're referring to here. So uh, it has a certain kind of uh, uh, colorful aesthetic to it that I think is just great. Um, Watsi had uh, taken over the entirety of the Paramount Theater, which is just, what, a block and a half from... Yeah, about a block and uh, a half from... The Washington State Convention Center. Uh, is that actually and, its name? And if you've never been to Seattle, the Paramount is an old vaudeville and stage theater that's been revamped to it's one of those theaters where they can pull the seats out and just put in a floor or they can pull the floor and put in seats and turn it back into a proper theater but it's uh it was built in the 20s uh, a lot of gilding um so the the theater itself really fit in well with the the colors and the the textures that they were using for kaladesh yeah absolutely and they, they used that venue for Worlds, in fact. So Worlds were also going on. Uh, Worlds had, what, 24 competitors? 24 of the best players in Magic playing as the, the guys reported a week ago, a tiny amount of Magic. Uh, but that's okay. That, that was taking place on the main stage. And in the past, when they've had events like this going on at PAX, they've had it in a much smaller venue that was... I'm not going to say completely separated from everything that's going on, but I mean, the public wasn't exactly encouraged to go hang out there. This year, totally different. They actually had uh, games going on on the main stage, uh, you know, so that's where the, the Worlds was going on. But then right off the main stage, in the venue itself, just like a few yards from where all that action was happening, they were actually running the... Uh, for want of a better word, I guess we'll call them the side events of worlds. They were all the magic events that the rest of us uh, mere mortals were able to participate in. But it was still part of PAX. That was the strange thing. Yes. We still needed a PAX badge to get into the, the venue. Um, we we're assuming that the world's competitors were given some sort of special PAX badge for this. We yeah, I can only assume so. Uh, listen, if you are a, if you were a world's competitor, you were actually involved in the event, and you're listening to this show, uh, contact us, because we'd like to know that anyone actually listens to this show. And let us know, did they actually give you guys PAX badges? I assume they did. That's the assumption we're going to work on. Uh, but anyway, the magic events themselves, like the events the rest of us could do, those were being run by the nice folks at Channel Fireball, and they did a fine job putting together events. You know, one of the big complaints I've always had about playing magic at a convention like this is there's so much other stuff to do that you don't want to just cut like six hours out of your day to try and go play an event that you haven't got a prayer of actually winning because you have, statistically speaking, like one of the 64 of you is going to win that pod. So that's just not going to happen. 
But this time they had uh, things like Minimaster, uh, they had sealed events, they had two-headed giant sealed. We actually played in two of the two-headed giant sealed events, and they were absolutely spectacular. They were very entertaining, and they were run differently than I have seen them run before, but it worked out really well for the setting. Yeah. So it was uh, two-headed giant chaos sealed is what they referred to it as. And that's not strictly true. Uh, each each pair, each two-headed giant pair, got a box that contained uh, everything that they needed to build their decks. So it had a land brick for us. If anybody out there knows what a land brick is, it's the thing that comes in a fat pack. It had a land brick in it, uh, and then had eight packs that you used to build your deck. And uh, all of the boxes had the same distribution of eight packs. So it wasn't chaos in that respect. So everybody got But it was certainly not a set of packs that were ever intended to be played together. Oh, goodness, no. Goodness, no. no. So here's here's what the packs were. Uh, we had uh, two packs of Eldritch Moon, one pack of Shadows over Innistrad, uh, one pack of Oath of the Gatewatch, one pack of Battle for Zendikar, one pack of uh, uh, MTG Origins, the, the last true core set, and then one pack of Modern Masters 2015. That's the, the cardboard box one that, you know, yeah, that's got its own baggage. And uh, one pack of Eternal Masters. So the mechanics in these things didn't always synergize in any meaningful way, but they were fun anyway. It, it was highly entertaining, and at least the two-headed giant events in which we played, no one was there to take down their opponents in a hardcore sense. Yes, everyone wanted to win, but here's the thing. They were trying to fit this into a very tight schedule. So, build was 40 minutes? Build, build was 40 minutes. Build was 40 minutes. Each round of one game, because it's two-headed giant, each round of one game was 45 minutes. And ties were allowed. So when you finished with time, you finished that turn, took no additional turns. If there was no winner, and no, this was did not involve tiebreakers, because you didn't go by life totals, if no one was dead at the end of that turn, it was a tie. And the reason this worked was because they did everything based on prize tokens. So as you started to play your match for Two-Headed Giant, they came around and they dropped 12 prize tokens on your play area. The idea being that the winners take eight, the losers take four. So if you tie, each team takes six. Worked out pretty well, and it really kept things fun, because you weren't getting that much more if you won a game. And uh, it let them essentially prepare everything because pairings were random, essentially. I have my own theories about how random it was, but the point is they didn't have to wait on results from a match to create pairings, to post pairings, to get the next round going. So turnovers were crazy fast. It was essentially time was called. They told you to end your match uh, in, in the way uh, Jen just described. And then the the pairings went up for the next round. And so we were... In and out of there in, what, just over three hours? Just over three hours. Yeah, and that's really the way to do... I, I have to say kudos to Channel Fireball. That is really the way to do events at a convention where there's all kinds of other stuff that you're trying to do that is not magic. Not that I'm saying that you shouldn't just go and play magic. If you want to, that's totally your thing. Go for it. But uh, we, we had lots of other stuff that we were trying to get to. Uh, there were quite a few... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I also liked, at least for Two-Headed Giant, and I don't remember what their schedules were like for some of their other events. For Two-Headed Giant, the three days prior to the end, they ran a Two-Headed Giant each day at 11 and a Two-Headed Giant each day at 8. 
The show floor closes at six. And although there are things to do in the evening, there are times that in the evening you're kind of feeling at wit's end. Do you just go play some tabletop in free play? Maybe go do some console free play? What do you do? The concerts are good, but sometimes there's not bands you want to see. So they actually had a pretty good crowd for Two-Headed Giant at 8 p.m. For instance, Sunday, we had gone out to dinner with some friends, and we were coming back down the hill. If you know Seattle, you can, there's kind of a You're hill. always coming You're up always or down the hill. You're always coming up hill. or down a hill. Um, so we're coming back down the hill. We're like, ah, what do we want to do? Maybe we'll walk back towards the Paramount. What were we going to do tonight? And almost simultaneously, we kind of said, hey, you want to go play Two-Headed Giant? It's coming up in about an hour. And so that's what we did. We went, we registered, we went and did something for about an hour. Yeah, we I went can't and checked what. out the... D&D? I don't remember. That yeah, would have been the closest I, thing. I, I don't remember that. The whole weekend's kind of a blur because we were jet-lagged the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Because that's how it goes on the West Coast. Uh, other things that were going on, um, there were several different panels that they had, and the panels were actually held in the same venue. So when Worlds wasn't going on, they'd have like a panel of speakers up on the stage uh, uh, doing things. And there was plenty of seating. Now, one of the big problems with panels in the past has been they're in relatively small conference rooms. So let's say there's a panel at 2 p.m. that you want to get into. You probably have to line up at 1 p.m. and you're just standing around for an hour waiting for the panel to start. And then you're crammed into a room as fast as they can get you in there. Uh, the panel happens. They cut it off. They throw you out. Instead, all of the magic panels took place in the same venue, and there was plenty of seating. You could essentially because remember just this in. is an old downtown vaudeville theater. So you've got the main floor, which they've pulled the seats out of, laid the floor down, and that's where they're playing the the magic events, not the world's events, but the two headed giant, the mini masters. But they have all of the balcony, and if you if you know the style of a not New York City because those things are tiny, but a Midwest or a West Coast vaudeville theater, you have a huge balcony or a huge mezzanine and balcony and second balcony and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they had all of that space available for people to sit, which led them to be able to do a really interesting thing with worlds on day one. Uh, well, it was technically day two. Day two, I'm sorry. Yeah, so uh, at least early in Worlds, the way they were doing it is while Worlds was going on, they had they had commentators uh, in, up in the commentary booth that was up in the balcony area. And so the folks on stage couldn't hear it, but they had directional speakers so that if you were sitting up in the balcony, you could hear the commentators while watching the match live. Like literally, I can see the stage, I'm watching the match go on, there's a giant projector uh, up above, I can watch what you would be seeing on the Twitch stream, and you can hear what the commentators are doing. Now, this was great for the folks upstairs, but the folks downstairs couldn't hear it. So by the end of Worlds, by the finals on uh, Sunday, they instead had the competitors on stage wearing headsets. And if anybody was watching the stream, I'm sure they talked about it. But they were wearing headsets so that they couldn't hear what was going on in the venue, but could hear one another. And they had, instead of the directional speakers upstairs, they had them both upstairs and downstairs, so anybody who was spectating could hear what the commentators were saying. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what the stream was like at home. I don't know what the experience was like for the folks on Twitch. Uh, but it, it was really cool seeing it live there, uh, the way they, uh, they, they had it set up. I, I was amused by the fact that normally when I've been at an event that had commentators, it's an SCG event which is fun, which is reasonably professionally handled from a video production standpoint, but not necessarily from a standpoint of 
costuming and makeup and such. And I got to watch a makeup artist actually fix the makeup on one of the commentators. That is true. <laughs> I didn't even know Watsi had makeup artists for their commentators. But it's a far cry from how things started when Watsi started doing these things. Yeah, it, it is amazing how far coverage has come yeah. in, uh, in even just the few short years that we've been paying attention to it, although it's a lot longer than I like to think about. Got them all. Um, <laughs> other things that were going on, uh, there was not a big party like there has been in the past. You know, previously at PAX, they would have, you know, some sort of a, like a scavenger hunt or an activity that you had to go around to certain stations and solve puzzles and you'd get a card that was autographed by uh, people who were manning these booths uh, around the venue. And then you'd come back and you'd get a ticket to a party that was at a uh, club that served alcohol. So you had to be over 21 and you had to go line up for that. And, uh, you know, it was kind of this whole hullabaloo. It was, it was fun. You know, we've gone to them in the past. They would have preview cards and spoilers and uh, all kinds of cool stuff like that. And some of them have been fantastic. You, you get a chance to kind of rub elbows with Watsy personalities, uh, folks who actually work behind the wall, uh, which is kind of cool. But this year they did not do that. Instead, they kind of had this constant stream of spoilers and mechanics and discussions that went on the entire weekend long. And including at times they would have someone holding up one of the giant foam board cards that people may have seen that was a spoiler card and just walking around the venue, not just the magic venue, but the venue. They'd walk through the WSCC annex or through the WSCC itself or walk through the show floor. And that was a way of sort of promoting magic to the people who are attending PAX who may not have made it out to the Paramount yet, or maybe people who used to play and kind of went, oh, hey, magic's here. So they did have some ways of kind of exposing people who may not have made it all the way out there. But then if you did get out there, they had some some really cool stuff going on outside the building that interestingly was not limited to people attending PAX. Yeah, so they had the uh did they actually label it the Kaladesh Street, street Fair? Fair? Yeah, so they had a street fair going on outside there's a there's a small road that, so you you come out of the WSCC and you head up the block and then turn left and go down a block. That block after you had turned left they had shut that off to traffic. And so they had sent up like set up like little tents or pavilions outside and they had food vendors come in uh, including some fairly well-known and famous food vendors from uh the seattle area mm -hmm. if if you're into that sort of thing uh and some of them were tasty including the grilled cheese place the, the wizards of cheese i thought it was just cheese wizards cheese wizards that's it yeah they were to play on cheese whiz they were delicious uh and then they had uh they had some glass blowers mm -hmm. like actual like you know, uh, like big vessel glass blowers. Yeah. And then they also had a glass artist, someone who works with more rods of, of, uh, of glass and draws them into shapes, more figurines or that sort of thing. Uh, small scale glass. And then, like you said, the, the glass blowers as well. Uh, they had a, a life size horse puppet that was created by a, a local puppetry shop, but the kind of thing that one has to, to ride in and operate the legs. It was, it was very cool. Yeah, it was a giant, giant mechanical beastie. Uh, it looked, it, it's the elk looking thing. If you've seen any pictures from this, uh, and I don't think the pictures do it justice, quite frankly, seeing it in person was quite, uh, spectacular. It, it was yeah. a spectacle. Yeah. Yes. Quite frankly. 
They also had a pavilion where you could go and make your own Thopter. So for those of you who have heard about uh, the upcoming pre-release events for Kaladesh, the the build your own Thopter that's going to be included in all of those, we've seen it. And it's it's really cool. It's a little three-dimensional. If you've ever seen like Papercraft, it's kind of papercrafty. Kind of. Not enough folding and gluing. Yeah, there's not nearly enough folding and gluing to truly be papercraft. But uh, you kind of punch it out, and there are instructions on on this like double-sided card. And the first side shows you how to make the basic thopter. And then on the back, it's got like two or three different suggested configurations for the remaining pieces, because you can kind of customize it, make it your own. And they were a lot of fun. Um, I do, as I, I believe... Uh, my fellow colleagues on Monday Night Magic last week said that they felt really bad for the game store owners who are going to have to clean up all the little bits and pieces that are left behind. Yeah, I totally feel bad for the game store owners who are going to have to clean up all the little bits. So please, please, we're begging you, clean up your trash. And no, do not put them in the table tent. The table tent is not a trash can. Please don't put them there. Anyway, Street Fair was cool. Uh, they also had a oh, little... the fake tattoos? I was going to say, they had yeah. they had another tent where they were doing, uh, like, airbrushed tattoos, and they looked really good, oh, yeah. quite frankly. Uh, they had, like, a Planeswalker logo. The Kaladesh they had a Kaladesh logo. logo. Uh, did they have Kaladesh, just the name of Kaladesh, I yeah. think? Yeah, just, yeah. And I feel like they had one other that they were doing, but you could get an yeah. airbrushed tattoo, which was And, and cool. all of this, except the food trucks, was free. It was just... Yeah, just wander up. Wander up. And they had some preview cards put out there as well, so they'd like have them up on a stand. And at least one of them, they didn't reveal the whole card until the end of the weekend because the flavor text gave away some stuff. Uh, so they'd, they'd have cards out there. They had another tent that they used for like meet and greets, so they had all the cosplayers uh, meet there. And they did have quite a few cosplayers who were uh, doing different planeswalkers during the weekend. They also had a couple of the Watsy folks, uh, like I think Mark Rosewater came out and did a, a meet and greet there oh, for a little while, and I think Gavin may have as well. Uh, and I know Matt Tabeck was wandering around uh, judging all of us, not silently, because yes. towering over us. Yes. That's what yes. Matt Tabeck was doing, yes. because he does, in fact, tower over pretty much everything ever. Yeah. Oh, that was the other tent. I knew we were missing a tent. What? The, Just the... Yeah, the, the, meeting, the no, 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 the, the vendor tent. Because oh, the course, vendor tent, yes. They, of course, have... Uh, a variety of, of magic objects that one might want to procure. Sleeves, playmats, hats, t-shirts, hoodies, those sorts of things. All your so, planeswalker gear. Yes, all of your planeswalker gear. So they had the, the main merchandise area inside, uh, inside the Paramount, but they also had sort of a smaller magic merch light out in the street yeah. there. So brought Magic to us by right. our friends at Legion Games. That's uh, right. Steve Port. Steve Port so, was there. Uh, as always, providing us with lovely magic apparel and such things. Yeah, the baseball cap is awesome. Yeah. If, if you guys ever see the, the new Planeswalker baseball cap, that thing's pretty sweet. And a really cool playmat, too. Oh, the, yeah. The PAX West Kaladesh playmat actually has both logos on it. The PAX West 2016 uh, Kaladesh. And it's, if you don't look too closely at it, it's just Kaladesh. But in the center of the playmat, done in the colors of Kaladesh, is the Space Needle. Yeah, so, so. In, in the background, you can you can see that it's totally the Space Needle in Kaladesh. So it, it's a really cool playmat. It's a very mat. cool playmat. Uh, they sold out of those fairly quickly, so uh, a lot of folks did not get their hands on them. But uh, they are. if you ever get a chance to see one, that's, that's where that came from. And they were really, really cool. So from your standpoint, yes. I ask you... 
Uh, how do you think they did as far as making Kaladesh seem uh, exciting, engaging, uh, the, the the visceral experience of going to the street fair and going through uh, the lobby of the Paramount and seeing the games. Overall, what would your uh, let let's go X play ratings uh, out of five? What was it? Hmm. I'm putting her on the spot. She yeah. didn't know I was going to ask this. No, no, I totally did. See, hard hitting interview. Am, That's what am, this is. Am I allowed to do partials? Can I go four and a half? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna go four and a half. Four and a half. Okay, so not I, not quite five. Not quite five. It it was it was of necessity not super immersive. There was a lot to offer, but you're in the middle of a street in Seattle. It's kind of obvious you're in the middle of a street in Seattle. Sure. Because you know on the other side of the street are those businesses. Right. <laughs> um, but I thought they did a really nice job of utilizing the space that they had. Um, and a really nice job of trying to evoke the the idea of Kaladesh. And although you've called it Indian, I would actually call it more <sighs> India flowing into Middle East, more maybe Pakistani. Um, there's there's definitely a Middle Eastern flavor. The the tents that just had the the low the low chairs with the cushions and that sort of thing. Let, let me felt des- more nomadic. Sure. Uh, let let me describe it as. Uh... Far, well, maybe not quite far yeah, Eastern. No, not far Mi- Eastern. Middle Eastern as interpreted through a Hollywood lens. How about that? Sure. Because it's certainly not like truly of any individual culture. No. It's kind but, of a, a, a melding of. I would influences. say more uh, step nomads or something like that. There's definitely an, and, and maybe that's it. Maybe they're deliberately trying to blend some cultures so it's not overtly any one. Earth culture, but I felt like there was definitely an Indian flavor. There was definitely a nomadic flavor with the tents and the uh, the cushions and the the rich fabrics. Not that you don't get some of that in India, but yeah, I also felt like there was a bit of a, an implication of desert. But maybe that's just me reading into it. Yeah, that may be you reading into it. I I, I don't really know. Okay. Yeah, we're we're really splitting hairs there. Yeah. But I, you know, uh, I'm not sure. I, I might give them. I might all go ahead and give them a five. I mean, I, I think given the constraints of the area that they had and the kinds of things that they were trying to do, I don't know what they could have done better. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, the events were great. The amount of integration between uh, the audience and worlds, since it wasn't yeah. walled off and separate, I thought that was great. Uh, they're kind of I inter. I was just rating the world piece. I didn't know I was rating all of it. I, I, yeah, I was trying to rate all of it. I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, the uh, the street fair I thought was fun. Um, could they have had more stuff to do at the street fair? Yes, but I don't know that they'd have the space. I don't know. The things that they had I thought were great and thematic and fun. I don't know what you would get rid of if you tried to put something else there, right? So there was a blacksmith. Was there a blacksmith? Yes, I knew I was missing something. Oh, right, because there was the the portable forge. Yes. Yeah, okay, you're right. There was a blacksmith. So. Uh, Taking care of all your blacksmith needs. Well, kind of into the whole artificing and inventing and fabric fabricating. There we go. That's the key word. Fabricating. They were fabricating things. You get to fabricate your own thopter token. Although that's not quite right. You create a thopter token. You don't fabricate it. But uh, it's not, let's not split hairs (laughs) any more than we already have. But no, I, I thought all in all, Watsi did a, a really nice job. Honestly, in terms of the world building piece of it, in terms of the the thematic piece, 
I think this is the best that they've done since the party for Return to Ravnica. Oh, I was going to say, I I think it's the best that they've done since the party for uh, Shadows over Innistrad. Because I I think the Shadows over Innistrad party was more flavorful than... uh... Oh, see, I, I really enjoyed the... Return to Ravnica because they had the guilds kind of split out into the chunks oh, of the show box, yeah. and, and the and the the Golgari actually had the the, the mushrooms on sticks growing out of the walls. Sure, the- my only complaint about that one, mm-hmm. and the reason I I downgrade that experience mm-hmm. is it was so crowded. It you was very could very not crowded. Move You're in right. That that's fair. But but purely again, I was looking at it from a purely oh, world, sure. world world building standpoint, not from an overall experience standpoint. Yeah, I thought they did a really nice job with the Return to Ravnica one, and this had the advantage of, like I said, everybody could partake. And I'm not a marketing person, but from the standpoint of exposing as many people as possible to the experience, this is definitely better than a party. Because yeah. a party is inherently limited in terms of attendance. The street fair, it was anybody who happened to walk down. By using the Paramount, everybody who wanted to see a panel could get in to see that panel. If you wanted to sit down and watch Worlds, you could sit down and watch Worlds. Um, the only thing I wondered, and this is pure speculation on my part, is was it as successful at drawing someone who had never played the game, who knew nothing about magic, into the magic area? It may have. One area that we didn't really go into, mm-hmm. but was there, they had a fairly large learn-to-play area. But you still had to wander out to the Paramount. You still had to get out to the Paramount to, to, to do that. That is true. But it seemed like they had plenty of people in there the whole weekend long. I, That's true. I believe, but I cannot prove this, but I believe it was Lady Planeswalker Society that was running the learn-to-play area. I do know that they were all volunteers, and I did see a number of people who I recognized. So that would make sense. Yeah, at least that that's what I had heard, but I mean, that was like second or third hand. Um, now, I will say... Well, that would explain how Adrian ended up doing it. Yes. So, those of you who may know Dreamtime Drin on Twitter, uh, she was actually one of the Learn to Play people. We ran into her a couple of times. And a lot of you probably ended. don't know that that's her name, uh, but she's the lady who's been at events carrying a uh, stalking tiger. Ah, yes. So that's that's that, that would that be how a lot of people would know her. Yeah, because I'm I'm sure a lot of people have encountered her and don't actually know who she is. Yeah, but uh, yeah, she's cool. If you do get a chance, say hi. Um, if our opponents during our two-headed giant games were any mm-hmm. indication, this event did really well. The things Watsi had put together did really well at pulling people back into the game. Yes. Now, part of that may be the set because there is a lot of excitement from what I've heard over Kaladesh as a set. People are oh, very great. excited for the setting, for the spoilers, for the cards, sure. everything. But I would say a good 50 to 75% of our opponents were people who were like, I used to play. I mm-hmm. haven't played in years. Uh, I don't really understand or what all these I, I mechanics are. I played one are. pre-release three years ago, but other than that, I haven't played. Yeah. So it, it definitely pulled people back in. Yeah. So and, and I think the way that they were handling the events also helped to pull people back in. Again, you weren't committing to a huge, huge chunk of time. Um, I'm not even sure they had any constructed events running. I'm trying to think of any. I don't recall. I don't think I, they But then again, I wasn't did. looking for them. So. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the menu and I don't recall seeing any, but, but be that as it may, um, certainly they seemed successful in drawing people in who had been involved in the past. Um, the people that we played against, at least, as I mentioned earlier, really seemed to be trying to keep it fun. 
Uh, it was not super, super competitive. Um, the, the judges were doing a really nice job of keeping things moving, of answering questions because, hey, it's two-headed giant and good luck figuring out how that works, particularly when you've got multiple sets trying to interact. Yeah, that, ooh. Um, but no, I think everybody was really out having a good time. Um, the Watsi folks, I think, were doing a really good job of trying to keep things running smoothly for people. I, I, I know that the Watsi folks were worried about worlds, um, but I think they also did a nice job of trying to keep things moving. Aha. I, uh, I knew I picked up one. Uh, so let's see here. Uh, I happen to have in front of me a printout of the scheduled events that they had. Uh, they had Inventors League, which is also known as, you know, the little, like, oh, uh, 30 card League. intro we, we decks. We played a match. We did play a match. Against each other. Uh, the little, like, 30 card intro packs that got me hooked on magic back at the original PAX East. They had those. They weren't in the swag bags. You had to come over to the Paramount to get them, but you could get one and then just play against people randomly all weekend long, and that was cool. Um, they also had, uh, Booster Draft. Isn't this uh, why Sarah Angel is currently standard legal? That is, in fact, why Sarah Angel is currently standard legal, for those who didn't know. Uh, they had Dragon in, too? They had on-demand de- on Booster Draft events all weekend long. Uh, then they had Two-Headed Giant Sealed. They had Mini Master. And they had one that we didn't try, which was the Deck Builders Toolkit Challenge, where for 20 bucks you got a Deck Builders Toolkit which had uh, 125 semi-randomized cards, 100 basic lands, and four booster packs, and you got to build your 60-card deck from it and then play some opponents. They had that going on several times throughout the weekend. So you're right, no constructed events whatsoever. Which, to my mind, is the way to go for a convention, because let's say, you know, you're going to packs. Maybe you played Magic, you know, five years ago. It is much easier in a convention setting to show up and play anything sealed whether that's draft or i'm sorry anything in a limited format whether that's draft or sealed or the deck builders toolkit heck if you were just getting back into magic deck builders toolkit isn't a bad thing gets you some current cards gets you some land or if you're you've recently taught someone to play and you've gone to the event together again not a bad way to get somebody to play yeah in fact now that i think about it i don't think any of our opponents sleeved their decks when we played two-headed giant thought one did did one hmm. maybe it was the people we were building across from not our opponents could have been yeah could have been i just can't shuffle without sleeves without yeah. riffle shuffling and i refuse to riffle shuffle magic I, cards I, so. I can't do it either yeah oh well i had something that was a pretty foil Ooh, that's right i had a mighty leap it does look pretty in foil yeah looks very pretty in foil worth not virtually worth nothing anything. yeah Oh, and for those who are wondering, uh, hey, what did you guys crack in your Modern Masters and Eternal Masters pack? Uh, we, we cracked, uh, let's see Nothing. now. Uh, Jack and Squat. Those were the two things that we cracked yes. in those. But we still had a blast. It was yeah. a really good time. Oh, yeah. Oh, I cracked swords to plowshares. Oh, that's true. We did get a swords to plowshares. Yeah. Very which, useful in the, let's call it format. Yeah, the, the um, meta was weird. Weird. <laughs> And that was our PAX experience. Yeah. Uh, so, well, our PAX magic experience. There was a yeah. lot of other PAX, but this True. is a magic podcast, this is a magic so you podcast, probably don't yeah, care. They... We should share the, the magic at the Sheraton, though. The completely unscripted... Oh. So, so we have some friends who are affiliated with WotC in various ways, and a couple of them said, hey, you're coming out to the Sheraton. We're like, huh? What? What do you mean? Uh... One of the evenings, there was a, a Facebook group that apparently decided to meet up at the Sheraton in the bar, and it was 
basically all the magic you wanted to play. Um, a lot of Watsi employees, a fair number of judges. It was um, wall-to-wall conspiracy two drafts and, and command. commander games and just everything you could think of. And yeah. it was a great time. Yeah. Uh, so we, we actually didn't end up playing because we wanted to go to a concert in the middle of it. But we went to the concert. We came back. We socialized some more. So. Oh, which, by the way, uh, just in case uh, uh, one of their members is listening. Oh, yes. might be. Uh, the concert we ducked out for was the Triforce Quartet playing in the Benaroya Concert Hall, which that is a was fantastic amazing. venue and a great, great group of musicians. They put on a fantastic concert, really yeah. enjoyed it. And the, uh, the acoustics in Benaroya really suited the Triforce Quartet. For those of you who don't know the Triforce Quartet, they are a string quartet that plays video game music. Uh, I believe that one of their members arranges most of their pieces, although I know that at least one piece in the concert, uh, he pointed out that was arranged by someone else. Um, but they did... Let me say this about PAX and the concerts when they're at Benaroya. The Benaroya is not well suited to rock music. It's just not. It wasn't built for it. Um, it's still fun, but the acoustics aren't right. The acoustics were spectacular for the Triforce Quartet. It was, we were seated near the back. Um, it didn't matter. You, you got the separation. You got the, uh, I don't want to call it echo, but you got the, like you get in a good symphony hall. Warmth, warmth maybe? Sure. You, you got the warmth. Um, yeah, it was just, it was all I had hoped for at that concert. So Triforce Quartet, excellent show. I'm saying all of this mostly because of one of one of their members might be listening. And <laughs> if, if he is, great job. We loved it. It was absolutely spectacular. Anyway, so that was our our Magic at PAX mm-hmm. experience. Uh, we had a blast. Way to go, Watsy. I hope, hope, like fingers crossed, that Watsy continues their involvement in other PAXs. I hope they don't pull it back to be just PAX, mm. PAX Prime, yeah. uh, PAX West. Because uh, I really did miss them at PAX East. Yes, very their, much missed them at PAX East. Their absence was, I'm going to call it glaring. Their mm-hmm. absence was glaring at, at PAX East. I, I, I felt like, it, it kind of felt like being abandoned. Yeah. And it was not a good feeling. Um, yeah. And I think it's easier at East to notice when someone is missing because what I still insist on calling Prime, but they are now calling PAX West, uh, has gotten kind of spread out. Those of you who know the WSCC knows know that it is not the world's largest convention center. And so consequently, as PAX has grown, they have had to assume a, a number of venues. They now take over the entire Washington State Convention Center, the annex to the Washington State Convention Center. This year, they used, again, the Benaroya Hall as the main theater, the Paramount Theater as the magic areas. Uh, and then they had uh, various other things going on. Um, they had tabletop in the Hyatt at Olive 8, I believe, they they had uh, things at the Sheraton, they had things at the Grand Hyatt, and they had things at the Westin. So it's very spread out. So you wouldn't necessarily notice if someone was missing. You might just assume that they were at one of the other venues that you never reached. But at East, everything is in one place. If you don't see them there, they're not there. It's a giant place. Don't get us wrong. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, I don't know if Chewie's going to splice this in the middle or put it at the end or if he's going to make it a supplement, but whatever he's going to do, I'm going to pretend that he's going to splice it in knowing that he probably won't and that'll make this ending awkward, but back to you guys. <laughs> 